Welcome to Light Treason News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined today by no one. It's me. It's your little baby bird, and I'm flying solo because I guess it went well last time, and you guys really seemed to like it. So I figured, hey, let's do it again while everyone I know is dying of a mysterious illness. Uh, it's not mysterious. It was very warm here in New York City for a couple days, and then it got very cold and everybody got sick. That's how bodies work. I didn't do it. I didn't make the human body. Please don't send your angry letters to me. I have nothing to do with that. So, listen. If you're new to Light Trees and News, usually I have a co-host. I don't this episode. It will be fine. Don't panic. I've heard the show sounds great, with just one host. I feel like a lunatic doing it alone in my apartment, but that's okay. You don't need to know that. You don't need to share that detail, Allison. Move on. So how the show works is you're listening to the pop culture section. So I'll talk about pop culture for a little bit. Then, uh uh-oh, I'm going to tell you some bad news, but don't worry. We end every episode with good news, and that's the structure of the show, and that's how it's going to be. If you don't like it, I don't care. Listen to one of the millions of other podcasts. Who am I talking to? Literally, no one has ever said they don't like the structure of the show. I need to dial it down and talk about the Joker trailer. Oh, boy. Listen, do we need yet another gritty reboot of a comic book villain, especially one who has been so embraced by the creepy misogynist incel community. No, probably not. Do we need that? No, we do not need that. But this trailer is fucking good. And I'm sort of hoping there will be an exploration of the failed mental healthcare system because it seems like at some point the Joker, or Arthur as he's known in this movie, tries to go to get some mental help or is committed at some point. It is unclear by the trailer. But listen, I don't know if you know this. Arkham Asylum, not in good condition. Uh, Clearly, there have been some budget cuts. And the mentally ill of Gotham are not being cared for. Yeah, listen, if you start to think about the Batman universe too much, you realize it is a billionaire fighting uh, mentally ill people. And I'm not saying in that case I would necessarily root for the billionaire. Do you know what I'm saying? So I try not to think too deeply about it (laughs) so I can, like, enjoy when Batman inevitably wins every single time. Mm, I would just like the villain to win once. You know what I mean? Like, in a definitive win. Not like, oh, Bane broke his back, but then he came back at the end and killed Bane. Like, just let Bane win, you know? I don't know. But the tra- the trailer's great. The cinematography looks beautiful. So I'm hoping there'll be an exploration maybe of the failed mental health care system of Gotham. I don't know. Is that maybe that's too lofty of a wish. And maybe an exploration of, you know, some uh, toxic masculinity. What happens when white men get their fifis hurt? I guess just not white men, but especially white men. It looks like he tries some stand-up comedy, which is very funny. And as we all know, all stand-up comics are um, degenerates. So, (laughs) you know, uh, that fits. It fits that Joker would try an open mic night, is what I'm saying. And listen, Joaquin Phoenix, mm, he 
he has his issues, but uh, he looks like he fucking murders this role. Oh, he looks so creepy. He lost so much weight. And it, like, you know, when I don't know, I don't know how to phrase this in a non-offensive way. He doesn't look good. This skinny is what I'm saying. He looks very sickly. And it, it fits the character very well. Love the acting choices between how he trudges around as Arthur versus how he floats around as the Joker. Very, very cool. I like the makeup. I know it's very derivative of Heath Ledger's Joker. And listen, everybody, no one's going to be Heath Ledger. So let's just all put that little wish fulfillment away in our little pockets because he's gone Nobody's ever going to be as good as Heath was as the Joker, but it looks like Joaquin's doing his own thing with it. Um, so I'm very, I'm hyped is what I'm saying. Also in the recommendations, by the way, if you ever have any recommendations and you want to send them my way, you have so many options. You can tweet me on Twitter. That's the only place where you can tweet. Hashtag light trees and pod, or just add us at light trees and pod can email at light treason news is that the email oh my god i never give out the email and i forgot what it actually is yes light treason news at gmail you can message on facebook or post on facebook and while you're over there go like us on facebook as well sometimes people are like how come i don't see your posts on facebook or instagram and it's like well because you don't engage with our posts. So the algorithm is like, I guess you don't care about little light trees and news. We won't show them to you anymore. And it's like, no, you love us. You want to see us. So like our posts on Facebook. Give us little hearts on Instagram and all that stuff. More and more of you have been commenting on Instagram as well, I noticed, which is very cool. I'm an old. So I was like, I've always been like Facebook and Twitter. But apparently you guys love Instagram. So... I love Instagram, too. It seems like a much more peaceful, less toxic place. So if you want to comment over there, we're light trees and pod on Instagram. I see those comments as well. And I respect your youth. So I'm not an ageist. I will read your comments. So my other recommendation is I've been saying over and over and over again how much it sucks that Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone is only available on CBS's All Access Pass. Well, guess what? Strap your butts down. The first episode is available on YouTube right now for free. It's called The Comedian. Ooh, we have a theme. Comedians. Yikes. Um, so the first episode's available over there. Also an exploration <laughs> of the stand-up comedy world, and but like in a very satirical, funny way, uh, obviously, because it's... Um, you know, Jordan Peele. And, you know, is the first episode perfect? No. Are there flaws? Yeah. But I think if this is going to be the tone of this series, I'm excited about it. Um, because I like the way it's shot. It's very um, reminiscent of the Twilight Zone, like very stylized and dark. Um, and yeah, Kumail's in it. I think Kumail does a great job. Uh, Tracy Morgan's in it. He does a really good job as sort of this like, um, he's essentially the devil. And I don't think that's a spoiler because he's in the first minute of the episode. But essentially, uh, Kumail makes a deal with the devil. He's a bad stand-up comic and he wants to be a good stand-up comic. And of course, it's the Twilight Zone. So there's a million twists uh, about what that entails. So I really, really recommend you all go watch that. 
Uh, I'm very excited. I'm really excited to see, uh, I forget the name of the original Twilight episode, uh, Twilight Zone episode. I think it was like Terror at 30,000 Feet or something. The one with Adam Scott is the the <laughs> the man on the plane panicking because he sees something on the wing. It looks like in a very Jordan Peele way, there's going to be extra twists thrown in there, hopefully about, you know, um, white men thinking they're everyone's savior and, you know, racial profiling and stuff like that. Because what would a white man like Adam Scott perceive as a threat on, on the plane? It's not just the gremlin on the wing. It's also those guys look a little Middle Eastern over there. And are they a threat as well? So it looks like, you know, in classic Jordan feel short and peel fashion that's what i meant to say there will be an exploration of like societal ills as well so speaking of societal ills i hadn't seen saturday night live in a while confession and i heard that sandra o oh did an amazing job hosting so i was like all right i gotta check this one out um and it's true she did uh, an amazing job. She's so funny. Um, and so I really recommend that you can watch it for free on the NBC website. Um, but also, uh, while I was watching <laughs> her host, I was like, man, uh, Sandra O's oh, so good. I really, really have to watch her in more stuff. Oh, by the way, stuff that you have to see besides Sandra O oh on that SNL episode. Bowen Yang of UCB is now writing for SNL and wrote one of the funniest commercials I've ever seen <laughs> for checks. You know, like what your what your not to gender it, but in all likelihood, what your mom writes at a grocery store, a check. Um, he wrote a commercial, really a love letter to checks, and it is one of the funniest things I've ever I've ever seen. He also made his acting debut on this episode of SNL, so I'm hyped they're using Bowen more. But uh, I was watching and I was like, man, Sandra is so talented, she's so funny. I wish I could watch her in more stuff that isn't Grey's Anatomy because I don't like Grey's Anatomy, sorry, not for me. Um, so I was like, oh, I wish there was more stuff I could watch her in. And then I was like, wait a second, Allison Kilkenny, your host, that's me. I never got to see Killing Eve, which is available on Hulu. Uh, so if you have Hulu, you can watch it as well. Uh, so I ran over there, literally, and started watching Killing Eve. And it is so fucking good, you guys. And I know if you've seen it, you're like, yeah, dummy. We've been saying that for mm, a year. Oh, God, is it years? Plural at this point? Maybe. Ugh, I'm so far behind on that show. But please don't send me spoilers. I'm only on episode seven, I think. It's very good. Sandra O oh is so funny in it. The comedy is really good, but then it will flip in a second to very, very suspenseful, like a, th a thriller type spy novella, and then flip again to very, very sad and very, very real, and then flip again to great comedy, and it never feels forced. The, the pace of the show is excellent. The episodes are like 40 minutes, but it really, really feels like a half an hour show. That's how good it is. And yeah, it's there's one of the creepiest characters ever in it. Um, who's, she's a female assassin. And actually, let me get the actress's name because she's so good. Um, I do want to shout her out. 
but yeah oh man there's an exploration of like and I know there's some debate about if this is a medically accurate term to use, but psychopaths and, and what type of people they are. Um, Jodie Comer is, she plays Villanella, who is the assassin. She's so scary, Ugh, but she's so good. She's so funny too. There's like really, really dark humor to it. And I, I think it could have been super problematic and offensive and it's not so really a credit to the writers and I I think the two leads you know the two women because these are very tricky parts to play and they just crush it it's so good so do check that out as well guys what am I to make of the OA okay I finished season two in retrospect I really was like did I like season one and I always gave like a very complicated answer whenever anyone was like, is it good? Should I watch it for season one? And I was always like, the thing about Brit, as I call her, because we're BFFs, the creator of the OA and the star of the OA, is in all of her projects, and I truly mean this, and, and this is always my answer, I love how ambitious she is and how she's always trying to do stuff that's never been done before. Like, you will never see one of her movies and be like, oh, this tired old trope. You know, like, she's really, really trying to push boundaries and, and push uh, storytelling, which I really, really respect. Sometimes it works beautifully. Like, the OA always looks gorgeous as a visual story, crushing it. The context of the story is where it gets a little hairy. Like, you either really, really buy into this universe or you're like, what the fuck is this? This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. So I don't even know how to describe the OA. If you've seen it, you get it. But essentially, uh, this universe believes angels are real and they walk among us, essentially. And they are c capable of performing miracles if they learn a specific set of movements that they have to do together as a group to activate this sort of, I don't even know what you would call it. In the second season, it becomes like interdimensional time jumping. But in the first season, it's like miracles. They can activate miracles, essentially. So the movements are very strange. It's like a very goofy looking dance. Um, and that really, in talking to people, is the moment where they're like, nope, and they turn it off. They're like, this is too fucking weird. And I feel like a lot of her stories are like that, where you're either like, mm, okay, I'm in this a thousand percent and I'll see it out, or you're just like, this is dumb and I'm bailing right now. Season two, I don't think I'm going to watch season three, because the way season two ends, and I'm just going to say it, so if you don't want to hear it, jump ahead to the music cue of the bad news section because I don't want to ruin it for you. But season two ends <laughs> where there's a bunch of convoluted stuff that's happening during the season. They're looking for a lost girl who turns out to be one of the characters from season one, but as as another gender, it's it's very complicated. So season two ends with Brit. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Prairie is her character's name, dying. She falls. She's ascending because she's an angel, right? And surrounded in white light. <laughs> and then she falls. She dies. And one of the other characters runs over to look down at her. And lo and behold, okay, I'm giving you a few more seconds to skip ahead because this is a very big spoiler. Lo and behold, 
the entire set is a movie set and this character is peering through another into another dimension where Brit is Brit, really Brit. Brit Marling, the actor playing Perry. Jason Isaacs is actually Jason Isaacs. He's not Hap anymore. They're all their real actors. And this is a dimension we're in where they are making the OA. I'm sorry. That's not a good twist. That's getting up your own ass a little bit. I I really felt like this was one of the rare moments where they didn't have a vision and they were just like, fuck, um... Oh, what if, like, okay, dig this. It feels like a conversation you would have freshman year in college when you're very stoned, and you're trying to write something, like a twist in a screenplay, and you're like, whoa, check it, check it out, check it out. We're in it, too. And it's like, break in the fourth wall, man, and now the the movie's part of it, too. It was just such a contrived twist that I was, like, embarrassed for everyone, Listen, I, I'm saying now I won't watch season three, but if season three is getting amazing reviews, maybe I'll pick it up again. But I'm mad. I'm truly mad about this twist. And I want to know what you think as well. Is anyone watching the OA? Maybe I'm the only one watching it. Although I think somebody tweeted me a while ago asking if I had seen the OA. Did you like it? I'm sorry if you did. And I'm shitting all over it, but... I mean, in addition to that, I felt like the rest of the season, there were several very bizarre twists. Like, what the fuck was with the trees? There was a moment where Brit, sorry, Prairie, falls, and the trees catch. She's falling a lot in the season, if you haven't noticed. The trees catch her, and it turns out the trees have a network of roots that are like the internet. And that's how they communicate with each other. And the trees speak English. And the trees are very concerned about our well-being. I didn't know what the fuck was going on. I'm not going to lie to you. I was like, what? But something nice I can say about the OA, I really, really respect how they tend to respect the audience. It feels like uh, the Wachowskis, you know, how they are unafraid to drop the audience into the middle of a very complex, confusing world and believe enough into the o- in the audience that they'll figure it out. They don't spoon feed usually the story and I I like that about them as storytellers so the season two premiere opens with brand new characters and we're like what the fuck is going on for a while and then things start to make sense but I really respect that Britt Marling's sort of like no they'll hang in there and and everything will be clear eventually and and we don't need to condescend to the audience so I do like that about her I also think she's a great storyteller. I just, mm, I don't think she stuck the landing of season two. What are your thoughts? Hashtag light trees and pod. And if you have any other recommendations, oh, you know what? I'm going to go a little long in the pop culture section because I haven't answered mail in a while. And in honor of the Avengers Endgame coming out in a couple weeks, is it a couple weeks or is it? Yeah. Yes. A couple weeks. A few weeks. Oh, God. This month is going to go so slow. I want to see this movie. So in honor of Endgame and Shazam coming out, which I heard people love Shazam. I don't know. I can't get excited about it, but I hear it's great. Don't send me angry tweets. I hear it's great. Someone sent in a question. Oh, Philistine. Of course. One of my favorites. 
and they want to know which superhero would you like to be and why? And I think this is a great question to ask you guys as well. So answer at hashtag light trees and pod. Let me know what superhero would you like to be? This is a great question because it's very complicated and I don't think I have one answer, but if I could only give one answer, mm, I think I'd want some Doctor Strange action in there. I want to travel interdimensionally. You know what I mean? Let's get some spooky shit up in here. In addition to like, you know, I got all the normal like sparks flying out of my hands and I can fight hand-to-hand combat. I can also jump dimensions. Okay, that seems pretty cool. Control time. Uh Uh-huh. Maybe be the reason all of my dead friends get to come back. Wink, wink. If you know what I'm saying. Yeah, okay. I can save Black Panther. All right, I'll do that. That's pretty cool. So that's my answer. Uh, what is everybody else's answer? Please let me know. Um, hashtag light trees and pod, or if you're on Instagram, because I know a few people were saying they don't have Twitter. I respect that. You don't want to mingle with Nazis. I get it. Uh, light trees and pod over there as well. Leave a comment in the comment section of today's episode. What superhero would you be? And on that note, guys, it's that time of the episode. Let's all hold hands and cry. Here's your bad news. We have to talk about creepy Uncle Joe Biden. Sorry, it has to be done. Oh, man. So if you had told me in the year 2019, Joe Biden would be running for president and due to things like the feminist movement and hashtag me too, he would come under scrutiny for his inappropriate behavior with women and he would react badly to that, I would be unsurprised. But as unsurprised as I was, it was like especially offensive. I'll read you some of what happened. So there has been criticism of Joe Biden, the way he behaves with women, with the unsolicited touching stuff. Oh, Penny is screaming, probably because she knows I'm talking about Joe Biden. It's okay. He might drop out. Don't be sad. So you know, you know what I'm talking about. We all know Joe Biden, like the way he like does the creepy neck massages, which by the way, I really don't think men understand how that is one of those seemingly innocuous things that it's a microaggression. It just it, it's something that women live in fear of. I know, honey, I'm talking about creepy Uncle Joe. Um Like, if you have a boss who gives unsolicited neck rubs or shoulder massages and they walk into the office, your entire body tenses up because you're like, fuck, there he is, touchy McToucherson, who I can't say anything to because he's my boss and he could fire me or not give me that raise I need or or just make my life difficult in general. So you don't say anything and you just hope, oh, I hope he doesn't do that thing again. And then he does the fucking thing again and it ruins your day. And like men don't understand how not just women, men too, live in fear of that kind of unsolicited touching. Just don't fucking touch people. How hard is it? Don't touch them without consent. Um, so Joe Biden has been 
getting a lot of criticism for his behavior. And instead of quietly digesting that criticism and coming out and saying, I messed up, I sincerely apologize, I'll, I'll work to amend <clears throat> the wrongs I've committed. He was at an event for the IBW and fucking joked about it. So he goes on stage and he had taken the stage after hugging the IBEW president. And he said, I just want you to know I had permission to hug Lonnie. Funny, funny man. But did he end things there? No, certainly not. Then he patted a kid he invited on stage on the head and said, by the way, he gave me permission to touch him. So just making a little joke in front of a little boy about consent, which is a great thing to say as a role model, right? Like, isn't it funny when women say you need permission to touch them? Ha <laughs> you little ragamuffin. Drop out. I hate you. I mean, in addition to everything else he's done with, like, the Anita Hill non-apology shit, like, he's so glaringly a relic of the past who refuses to change that's the thing like he is unapologetic unrepentant um i mean he outright said a reporter asked him do you think you owe these women a direct apology who have come for forward so far by the way so far and biden said i made it clear that if i made anyone feel uncomfortable i feel bad about that okay so it's about you and your hurt fifis i guess so then the reporter goes, but an apology? And Biden responds, I'm sorry I didn't understand more. I'm not sorry for any of my intentions. Which is a horrible thing to say. It's a non-apology. You're not sorry for your intentions. Your intentions were to touch people without consent. That's what that was. And you sort of tried to frame it as, I'm your friendly, creepy uncle who's just, I'm just messing with you. And women have tolerated that behavior for so long that it's sort of funny to see how shocked men are when finally we're collectively like, no, actually that behavior is super creepy and we don't like it. They're like, what? But you always pretended to laugh. I don't know. I'm like, did you ever really think people were totally cool with that or you were just getting away with it? I don't know. It really doesn't matter what what it was inside his heart when he was randomly touching women. But I'm over creepy Uncle Joe. I'm wondering when he'll drop out, if he'll drop out. But truly his response to this has been disgusting. And it's not like I ever respected him, but if I ever had any respect for him, it it's completely gone now. This is sort of a, a case book example of how to not respond to something like this don't fucking joke about it it's not a joke if anything it's going to be the reason why you have to drop out of this race um, take it seriously take the criticism and the feelings of people seriously it's not a joke so also in bad news I literally just had to pause to ask Penny to stop screaming at me that's where we're at in our relationship. So, oh, by the way, Penny's my cat. I realize if you're a new listener, that was just an insane thing to say. I have two cats, Desmond and Penny. They are the mascots of Light Trees and News. And they're each a handful in their own way. I just had to take Desi to the vet because he's been over grooming. And uh, everybody there calls him Big Boy because he's a hefty gentleman. 
and <laughs> the vet technician put him on the scale and was like, Desmond, you gained weight. It's only been a week. That's wild. And I was like, it's not that wild. Let's be real. It's Desmond. So um, he's a hefty gent and he's getting heftier. But I hear that's good at his age because apparently it's hard for cats to um, keep weight on. Not an issue for Desmond. So anyway, sorry. What an inappropriate segue for the very serious story I'm about to get into. Guys, there's no way to sugarcoat this. The U.S. is tracking migrant girls' periods to stop them from getting abortions. Boom. There it is. That's who we are. Remember how, like, white women, including myself, watched The Handmaid's Tale and were like, what a scary dystopian future. Oh, give me the popcorn. And uh, we're living The Handmaid's Tale right now, but it's primarily affecting women of color. So it's like, oh, that's a shame. But this Handmaid's Tale, wow, poor white Elizabeth Moss. They got her. It's like, well, we are actually keeping women in cages right now. And apparently tracking their periods to stop them from getting abortions. So this is from Bazaar, Harper Bazaar. They're... Uh, so the U.S. government lost 1,400 migrant children. Even though the court ordered a halt to the policy of family separation, 245 more children have been taken from their parents. Um, so there's this report that uh, Harper Bazaar uh, went through, and there are 28 p uh, pages detailing the periods, pregnancies, and reason for the pregnancy, whether by rape or not, of teen girls in custody, some of whom are as young as 12. There may well be reasons for the government to track whether or not a woman is pregnant and how far along in her pregnancy she is, but there's no reason to track the cause of her pregnancy. It's pretty fair to assume that they're not doing this because they want to ensure women know all the options regarding their pregnancy. It's almost certainly an attempt to bar them from getting abortions. Can you imagine that being the, the priority and not, mm, I don't know, providing shelter to these people or caring for them? Just really doubling down on the abortion stuff. So Harper Bazaar writes, we know that because the tracking was done by the anti-abortion advocate Scott Lloyd, the head of refugee resettlement at the height of the children's separation. He has since been removed from the post. Lloyd declared he needed to sign off on all abortion requests. This was previously not the case. And in one instance, attempted to use a migrant girl as a way to test an abortion reversal method. Oh, good. We're also doing medical experiments on them. This is going to reflect great in the history books. Guys, where are the baddies? Where are the baddies? Harper Bazaar continues, Lloyd has admitted to pressuring these young women to keep their pregnancies. So he just admits it. Seemingly, he was quite strenuous in his insistence. In one email, Lloyd relates that a pregnant woman in his care who was seeking and being kept from having an abortion mentioned suicide. In response to what in response to that he writes the clinician describes her demeanor as obnoxious and that the unborn child is in our care so the medical team should continue with standard prenatal care if she continued to want an abortion after quote unquote spiritual counseling lloyd continues she'd have to obtain parental consent 
Because deciding to terminate a pregnancy seemingly takes more maturity than motherhood. And if you think they did not take into account how difficult it might be for teenage migrants to obtain consent from parents they might not be traveling with, oh, don't worry. They took that into account. So this tracking continued well after the ACLU intervened to stop government interference with immigrant women seeking abortions. So you're probably wondering, okay, what happens when these children are born since these people are so aggressively, uh, quote-unquote, pro-life? Well, here's the answer. It's hard to say. However, we know that many migrant children have gone to Bethany Christian Services, an organization that has received hundreds of thousands of dollars from Trump's education secretary, Betsy DeVos. It is also an agency that allegedly won't place children with LGBTQ couples. Dun, 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 dun. Homophobes. Asylum seekers are separated from their children and then told by officials that if they don't behave, quote unquote, they will put their children up for adoption. Ooh, cool, 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 cool. So, guys, just creepy Orwellian shit. I don't even know if it's fair to call this stuff Orwellian anymore. I feel like we have surpassed Orwellian um, expectations. It It's Trumpian shit. It's truly monstrous and gross and very uh, worthy of being in the bad news section. So, also in bad news... Oh, Penny. Miss Penny is sitting right by me and giving me the business. Do you want to say something on the show? No, nothing. You shut up immediately. When you get the microphone, when you have a platform, you've got nothing to say. All right. Sorry, you guys don't need to be part of our fights. Um, so also in bad news, m- more about the Mueller investigation. <coughs> the Washington Post has backed up the New York Times report from late Wednesday that some members of Robert Mueller's team have said the special counsel report is much worse for the president than was suggested by Attorney General William Barr. So you're probably wondering, Allison, why is anything that's bad for Trump in the bad news section? Surely that's good news. I'm putting it in the bad news section because I think the Mueller report has been wildly... um, I don't want to say misinterpreted because nobody knows what's in it. We're all taking the word of Attorney General William Barr for some fucking reason. And I truly don't understand why anyone is putting faith in that man. We haven't seen the report. We don't know what's in the report. So I think it's bad news that the media and obviously Trump's administration were going to do this. But the media really played into it where they were like, oh, the whole thing was a bust. What was a bust? 35 indictments, three corporations uh, also indicted. There were tons of charges brought against people successfully, too. So I don't know what this bus talk is talking about. So in its report, the Post goes a step further, claiming some members of Mueller's team have complained to close associates that they gathered alarming and significant evidence of obstruction by President Trump. It was much more accurate or it was much more acute than Barr suggested, one source is reported to have said. In his summary, Barr said that the special counsel did not establish evidence for a conspiracy between the Trump campaign and Russia and said that Mueller didn't conclude one way or the other as to whether Trump's conduct in office constituted obstruction of justice. Barr also said that he concluded the evidence was not sufficient to prove obstruction. 
There was immediate displeasure from the team when they saw how the attorney general had characterized their work, said one official. Summaries were reportedly prepared for different sections of the report, which Mueller's team thought could be released immediately without redaction. So it seemed like there was confusion within the Mueller team of how much information they could get out to the public. So they feel as though their work has been wildly misinterpreted, which is very interesting. Like this sort of lends to the argument that we should be able to see the full report because obviously the people who made the fucking report think that they their work is being misinterpreted. So, boom, let's just see the fucking thing. Why do we need William Barr interpreting it for us? Why do we need huge sections redacted? I mean, I understand, like, if there are sources whose lives will be endangered, yeah, redact that information. But specific charges and evidence, why is any of that shit being redacted? This should all be part of the public record. That's how I feel, everybody. Um, so, also in bad news... Ugh. Homeland Security has disbanded the Domestic Terror Intelligence Unit. You know, why would we need the Domestic Terrorism Unit, you guys? It's not as though white supremacy is bigger and thriving than ever, or there's attacks against synagogues and Muslim people. Um, why would we need the Domestic Terrorism Unit? Uh, so... The Daily Beast reports that numerous current and former DHS officials say they find the development concerning as the threat of homegrown terrorism, including white supremacist terrorism, is growing. In the wake of this move, officials said the number of analytic reports produced by DHS about domestic terrorism, including the threat from white supremacists, has dropped significantly. Remember a while ago, this is Allison, not the report, Remember a while ago when the FBI came out with that report and they were like, hey, um, the greatest threat to America isn't um, Muslim extremists. It's actually uh, white terrorists. And Fox News lost their fucking minds. They have gone after that report every day since it came out. So I'm sure they're doing a touchdown dance over this now. Um, even though this isn't actually based on any sort of <laughs> evidence or, um, you know, analysis, it's just the Trump administration or the DHS under the Trump administration performing a fan fulfillment, basically, where they're like, hey, we know you don't like facts and you don't like the fact that the FBI pointed out that white terrorism is the number one threat in the United States. So what if it wasn't the case? What if we just you know, disbanded the domestic terrorism unit and just ignored the problem. Would that make you guys happy? And of course, it makes them very happy, so they did it. Um, so one former intelligence official told the Daily Beast, it's especially problematic given the growth in right-wing extremism and domestic terrorism we're seeing in the U.S. and abroad. The group in question was a branch of analysts in DHS's Office of Intelligence and Analysis, or the INA, they focus on the threat from homegrown, violent extremists and domestic terrorists. The analysts were the analysts there shared information with state and local law enforcement to help them protect their communities from these threats. By the way, you know when a terrorist attack happens, and it will happen from a white supremacist, the first group that's going to be blamed for not spotting the threat is the DHS. Of course that's going to happen. So, um, yeah, terrifying. 
unsurprising but terrifying. It just really is extraordinary how the right is like a dog with a bone. They just never let shit go. You know, whether it's like Hillary's emails or Benghazi or this FBI report that came out during the Obama administration saying that white supremacy was the number one threat to the country. Like, you knew as soon as that report came out, oh, my God, Fox News is never going to let this go. They are going to shake at this report until people just stop defending it. And that, I mean, I know that's an oversimplification of what happened, but essentially that's what has happened now, you know, where now we have a new administration, we have a new DHS, and under that leadership, it's suddenly like, you know what, facts don't matter anymore. Um, Even though this, this prior report from the FBI said that domestic terrorism by white supremacists is the number one threat. Mm, you know what? We're just not going to focus it on, any, on it anymore because that is the wish fulfillment that was being requested by the Fox News audience. You know, they they didn't want it to be true. So now the Trump administration is making it so it's not true. Or at least not. It's still true, but it's not a priority for them anymore because they don't want to make it a priority because these are all the little people who scurry out and vote for them. You know, like Trump needs his white supremacist votes. So, of course, he doesn't want them to feel targeted by DHS, (coughs) um, by INA. So here we are. And then, of course, when there is another attack, which there will be. Trump will throw up his hands and be like, what a tragic event. Who could have known thoughts and prayers? And it's like, well, we do know. We do know that this is a huge threat. Local law enforcement does need to know about this because there are cells that are planning shit right now that they need to know that this is a huge threat. And now they're not going to have the resources. Now they're not going to have the intelligence. This is, you know, Trump is always talking about the need for security and like marching down to the border. This is a much bigger threat to security than anything that's happening at the border. A much, much bigger threat, 100-fold. And he's ignoring it. So he shouldn't be allowed to spout shit like that to the media. Anytime he says something about national security, reporters should fire back, what are you doing about the threat of white supremacists, which is a much bigger threat to our overall safety. You know, you're so concerned about domestic terrorism. You're so concerned about... Um, threats to national security when it's brown people, but for some reason you're not too concerned when white people are doing it. Hmm. Why might that be? Because the president's a racist. That's what I'm saying, everybody. And I know um, most of you probably agree with that, unless there's one. Can you imagine if there's like one rando from InfoWars who was like, you know what, Jerry? today's the day you're going to branch out and expand your podcast and tastes. And he downloaded, he's like, light treason news. That sounds compelling. And he downloaded it and he's so mad right now. He's clenching his little fists. Jerry, this might not be the podcast for you. I'm sorry, buddy. But there's so many other options out there. That's what's really exciting about podcasts. There's no need to ever write another angry email again. There are so many podcasts that you'll love and you'll thrive while listening to them, Jerry, it'll be okay. Guys, that's enough of the bad news. It's time to end on the good. Here's your good news. 
Okay, so speaking of bad things happening to Trump being in the good news section, here it is. Here's your dose, you fucking addicts. Sorry, that was cruel. I don't know why I phrased it that way. Um, so Michael Cohen, <laughs> oh my God. I just love that he is, he's the the, the con man. He's the, the uh, monorail guy. Anytime the judge is like, all right, Mr. Cohen, is there any... Anything else you want to reveal to the court? And he's like, no, your honor. And then something else goes down that looks like it might be a little bad for him. He's like, oh, and one more thing. And he pulls out a manila folder and everyone's like, oh, God damn it. What is that, Michael? So it happened again. Uh, attorneys for Michael Cohen submitted documents to lawmakers Thursday night accusing Trump and his team of lawyers of instructing Cohen to lie to Congress about when negotiations ended to build a Trump Tower in Moscow. So this would obviously be uh, the most direct moment ever of, Tr of Cohen saying that Trump, quote-unquote, instructed him to lie. He had sort of danced around that earlier. He had sort of been like, well, it was like implied that we were sort of his fixers and we were meant to clean up stuff. But he always made it seem like, Maybe it was just implied that this was the culture of, of how they were expected to perform for Trump. This is the most direct moment ever of him being like, no, he instructed us to lie directly, which would obviously be huge. That, that's different than saying, like, it was implied. In a 12-page memo sent to top House Democrats, Cohen's attorney said Trump, quote-unquote, encouraged Cohen to lie and say all Moscow Tower Project contacts ended as of January 31st, 2016, using code language, telling Cohen during various conversations that there was no collusion, no Russian contacts, nothing about Russia after the start of the campaign. The memo addresses issues that have been at the center of the recently concluded two-year investigation by Special Counselor Robert Mueller into possible coordination between the Russian government and individuals associated with Trump's campaign. Attorney General William Barr has stated that the report, which has not been made public, did not find that the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with Russia. The more than 100 pages of documents included with Cohen's memo, <laughs> that just, by the way, I have an additional 100 pages of evidence, to lay bare a conspiracy to collude with the Russian government during the campaign, along with a, an array of other crimes by the president. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Should anyone believe anything Michael Cohen says? We're in this really weird position now where we're sort of relying on con men to reveal bigger con men's secret. You know what I mean? So it's like, I think it's very shady that Michael Cohen apparently has bags of evidence taped to the inside of his trouser pants or his trouser, um, what am I trying to say? That he just has, like, bags of evidence taped under his desk, inside his pants. You know what I mean? To, like, bust out if he gets cornered again. Where he's like, wait, wait, you still need me alive because I have this. <laughs> it's like, you are such a scumbag. <laughs> just tell us everything you know. But obviously I wanted to put this in the good news section because if it is indeed true that he has direct evidence of Trump instructing him to lie, that is a crime. That would be very, very bad for Trump. I also don't think any of this shit is remotely close to being over. Like the people who are like, well, the Mueller report is done, so I guess that's that. 
that is not that. There's still other investigations going on. There's still shit like Michael Cohen at the last hour being like, oh, I forgot about this document, you know? This will continue to go on because there's so much corruption in the Trump administration. It's not going to go away. This will, there will never be a moment of peace for them in this administration. There will always be an investigation of something. Their business dealings, the collusion with Russia, it's not going away. And that's either a good thing or a bad thing, depending on how you look at it. If you're, if you're not a fan of the Trump administration, you're probably like, good. I don't think... Trump's going to go to jail or anything or get impeached or anything like that. But I'm sort of of the belief anything that slows them down, you know, like anything that ties them up in court where they're distracted by this, um, it's good, right? I do believe that there was collusion. I do believe that shady shit, illegal shit went down. But in addition to that, I'm just like, why back off on these guys? They're so obviously dirty keep going after them keep dragging them to court keep making life fucking miserable for them why not the only power we have in this moment is the courts that's the only time that we're handing the trump administration any defeats it's judges saying hey you can't do this it's fucking unconstitutional what the fuck is wrong with you guys that's the only moment where they're being slowed down so keep dragging them to court you know what i mean i don't know so also in good news Someone sent this to the show, and I apologize. I don't remember who it was. But did you all hear about the girls in, I believe it was Maryland. It was. <coughs> Sorry, guys. I'm apparently getting sick, too. At Bethesda Chevy Chase. <laughs> Stop it. That's the name of the school. <laughs> Bethesda Chevy Chase High School in Maryland. Oh, I love it so much. So this amazing group of girls fought back against their sexist little turd classmates who put out this list that ranked all of the girls in their class on the basis of their looks from 5.5 to 9.4 because they're very precise with their measurements. Um, So the girls were made aware of this list. There was some sweet, sweet little ally, one of the boys who found out about the list, found out one of his his girlfriends, two different words, girlfriends, was on the list and was like, this is fucked up, and told her, which is what you do, fellas, when you find out like shit like this, you tell them. So a bunch of the girls found out and were pissed about this. Um, rightfully so. So they go to the principal and they were like, hey, this is really fucked up. It's sexist. It's creating a toxic, hostile environment that we can't learn in because like school's hard enough. And I mean, also remember that kids today now have to worry about like mass shootings and stuff like that. And now you have to worry that your dumb little wiener classmates are ranking your looks. Fuck that. So they go to the principal and they say they feel violated, objectified, all valid. And the principal responds, Principal Donna Redmond Jones said that an investigation revealed the list was made during school hours and that there was definitely discipline applied, their words, in line with the district's code of conduct. But the girls were unsatisfied with this. Um, So they told 
their friends to show up at the school's main office the next day during lunch to tell them we feel unsafe in the environment and we are tired of this toxicity. About 40 senior girls showed up packing into an assistant principal's office um, as one of the girls read a statement she had written. Um, and sh- so the girl's name is Schmidt. She said, we want to know that the school is, uh, what the school is doing to ensure our safety and security. We should be able to learn in an environment without the constant pressure of objectification and misogyny. So the girls in the administration agreed that there should have been a large meeting with the male students. Yeah, the guys who wrote the fucking list. Yeah. Um, So that Friday on International Women's Day, almost all of the students uh, uh, in the IB program, about 80 students, met in a large conference room for what was supposed to be a 45-minute meeting during fifth period. Instead, the meeting lasted two and a half hours. Several girls delivered personal and impassioned speeches describing not only their presence on the list, but also their previous experiences with sexual abuse, harassment, and objectification, both inside the school and outside of it. Um, So one of the male students who was credited with creating the list, an 18-year-old student, uh, was there. And after listening to all of the girls' speeches, many of which were directed specifically to him, he stood up and spoke to the group, admitting to making the list and apologizing for the hurt it caused. He said it was quite intense being so directly confronted in front of so many people for so long. Um, He recalled coming up with a list, which began in the five range for girls perceived to be average looking, during a brief conversation with a friend during a fifth period English class. Uh, He said he never distributed the list to anyone else in the grade, and he didn't know how to begin it. He didn't know it began circulating earlier this month, but he took responsibility for what uh, he said was a haphazard, stupid decision. Yeah, but it doesn't really matter that you didn't intend for it to get circulated. You created it. Um, So he said, when you have a culture where it's just normal to talk about that, (coughs) I guess making a list about it doesn't seem like such a terrible thing to do because you're just used to discussing it, which is a valid point. He added, I recognize that I'm in a position in this world generally where I have privilege. I'm a white guy at a very rich high school. It's easy for me to lose sight of the consequences of my actions and kind of feel like I'm above everything. While he regrets making the list, he said he was grateful that the girls spoke up. It's just a different time and things really do need to change. This memory is not going to leave me anytime soon. So it seems like the girls really got through to him. That enough would be enough for this story to be in the good news section. But it gets so much better. So since then, these students are planning all of these different actions. So the Bethesda Chevy Chase students, God, I love the name of that school, are planning a day next month in which pairs of students, one senior girl and one senior guy, will go to the younger students' classes to talk about toxic masculinity. Some students are also organizing a pop-up museum focused on the theme of cultural toxicity. While the event was planned before the list circulated, it has now taken on a new meaning. Um, So with two months of high school they have left, the seniors hope to set a precedent for the younger grades. Um, So one of the girls said, I wasn't surprised by the list. The kids, like the kid who made the list, aren't the outliers. It's the people who speak up about it that are, and that culture needs to change. So I think this is awesome. I love that they're using this whole negative experience as a jumping off point to like educate younger kids about 
toxicity, uh, about um, misogyny, hopefully toxic masculinity, stuff like that. It's awesome. Congratulations to the students at, one more time, Bethesda Chevy Chase High School. I love it. So also in good news, um, some rare solidarity in the tech community. More than 900 Google workers have signed a letter objecting to the tech giant's treatment of temporary contractors. That's like me. I'm a temporary contractor. In what organizers have called a historical coalition between Google's full-time employees and temps, vendors, and contractors. In March, Google abruptly shortened the contracts of 34 temp workers on the personality team for Google Assistant, the Alexa-like digital assistant that reads you the weather, manages your calendar, sends a text message, or calls you an Uber through your phone or smart speaker. Man, Google's terrifying. The cuts, which affected contractors around the globe, reinvigorated the debate over Google's extensive use of temps uh, amid a growing labor movement within the company. In recent months, Google full-time employees and temps have been increasingly vocal in protesting both their working conditions and the ethics of their employer. Yeah, because like, here's the thing. Uh, even if you don't believe this is a, a fully um, <coughs> empathetic gesture by the full-time employees... Google's and other tech giants and other companies in general are relying more and more on interns and temps because they don't have to pay them as well. They don't have to give them full-time benefits. So this is also really bad for full-time employees. And the worse that temps get treated and corporations realize they can get away with that terrible treatment, the worse it gets for everyone. And once we realize that, once we realize that the worse corporations can treat the most vulnerable vulnerable among us, the worst it gets for everybody, when we realize that will be unstoppable. Right now, it's still a lot of shitting on the most vulnerable, you know, like undocumented workers, stuff like that, because it's like, they're taking our gerbs. But the reality is, corporations want undocumented workers because they can treat them the worst. They can pay them the least. They don't have to give them benefits. If the workers try to organize, guess what? They can get them deported. And if full-time employees, you know, um, documented citizens, stand up for those workers, well, then the corporations are fucked. But until then, it's just going to be a lot of poor people fighting poor people. And nothing fucking gets done in that case, guys. So, oh, and then I just want to end on a quick note. This is very funny to me. Tucker Carlson went after, of all people, Chris Hayes and described him as the following. Chris Hayes is what every man would be if feminists ever achieved absolute power in this country. Apologetic, bespectacled, and deeply, deeply concerned about global warming and the patriarchal systems that cause it. Well, that sounds like a pretty good world to me. Um, I apologize on behalf of all feminists to Chris Hayes for harming his eyesight. You know what? We got together for a meeting. Things got a little out of hand. And one of the feminists said, hey, should we diminish Chris Hayes' eyesight? And we were like, weird, but yes. And we did that, and we apologized for it. Um, everything else on that list, I feel like if we could get every man to uh, check all these boxes, the world would be a healthier place. If, they were, if men, like, I don't know, Joe Biden, were more apologetic, deeply concerned about global warming, and the patriarchal systems that cause it, Dope. 
So uh, here's to a world where there's more little Chris Hayes's running around, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> or maybe not Chris Hayes, but just like people like that, right? Yeah, that's a good note to end on. Guys, thank you so much for listening. If you have any thoughts about today's episode, and I hope you do, I love hearing from you. Hashtag Light Trees and Pod on Twitter or comment on Instagram, comment on Facebook. If you don't have any of those things, you can always email us at lighttreesandnews at gmail. Oh my God, I'm so used to Twitter. I said the at first. That's not our email address. It's just lighttreesandnews at gmail. Thanks so much for listening. Tell your friends about the show. And while you're at it, get out there and cause a little trouble. 